we're going to go through a topic, topic that Nephi seemed to like, likening all scriptures unto ourselves. And I did a similar lesson to this about six months ago, and it, it became corrupted, and I've had people asking me, ask me about it. And so this is new and improved, likening all scripture unto ourselves, new and improved version 2.0. Dustin Grady is behind the scenes helping us out. Thank you, Dustin. And before we jump into it, let me say one more thing. I want you all to know, whoever's listening, that I am happy to be corrected. Um, people have reached out to me and have corrected me on things that I've said, and and I welcome that. Please send me a message on Facebook, Steve Briner, or comment in the comments below on the YouTube video. And I... I enjoy your comments and I enjoy being corrected and that that's how I learn. I don't enjoy being right and and I'm oftentimes more more wrong than I am right. So please correct me. Please feel free to do that. Uh, let's start start off with a quote by Harold B. Lee, president of the church just before uh, Spencer W. Kimball. Harold, Harold, Harold B. Lee says this on the scriptures. He says, all that we teach in this church ought to be couched in the scriptures. We ought to choose our texts from the scriptures. If we want to measure truth, we should measure it by the four standard works, regardless of who writes it. Okay. First Nephi 19, 23, 24. And I did read many things unto them, which were written in the books of Moses, but that I might more fully persuade them to believe in the Lord, their redeemer. I did read unto them that which was written by the prophet Isaiah. For I did liken all scriptures unto us, that it might be for our profit and our learning. So Nephi gives us that, that instruction of bringing the scriptures into our lives. And how do we do that? Well, if I could present the idea that civilization and that human nature is the same throughout history. It is the same over and over and over again. People don't really change. Our nature doesn't change. We're the same people. So society, as we see it today, has degenerated to the point of previous civilizations. And if we study those previous civilizations, then in, in our own lives, we can know what to look for and what to do when what happened to them is upon us, which it is right now. Uh, let's continue in 1 Nephi 19.24. We just read 23.24. Here we go. Wherefore I spake unto them, Nephi speaking to his brothers, saying, Hear ye the words of the prophet. And let's look at that, that little quippet right there. Hear ye the words of the prophet. What prophet is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the prophet Isaiah. So just as we refer to the prophet Joseph Smith as the prophet for our day, Okay, Nephi is referring to Isaiah there as the prophet of their day. Okay, 24, wherefore I spake unto them, saying, Hear ye the words of the prophet, ye who are a remnant of the house of Israel. So he's speaking to us as well. A branch who have been broken off. Hear ye the words of the prophet, which were written unto all the house of Israel, and liken them unto yourselves, that ye may have hope as well as your brethren, from whom ye have been broken off. For after this manner has the prophet written. So in other words, unless you liken these scriptures unto yourself, Nephi is saying that you don't have hope. 
The only way that we have hope is if we take these scriptures and we liken them to ourselves. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to go through some scriptures, some scriptures, and we are going to liken those scriptures to ourselves for our day and our time and try to understand what the prophets in the Book of Mormon, as well as Joseph Smith, had in store for us when they wrote the things down that they wrote down. Okay, starting in 2 Nephi chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. Nephi again speaking here. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I suppose that ye ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way. Remember, the way is baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the gate. But behold, why do ye ponder these things in your hearts? Do ye not remember that I said unto you after ye had received the Holy Ghost, ye could speak with the tongue of angels? And now, how could ye speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. Wherefore, now after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it will be because ye ask Ye ask not, neither do ye knock. Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. For behold, again, I say unto you that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what ye should do. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. This is second comforter language, okay? And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. Now, there's very little written in the Book of Mormon about the second comforter. And this is because this is not the job of the Book of Mormon. The job of the Book of Mormon is to get us from the ascension level that we're at to receive to the ascension level of receiving the baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. Once you receive now, what Nephi is saying here is once you receive the second comforter, that Christ gives you more marching orders, that you continually enter into covenant with him, and he continually gives you more commandments. Verse 7. Now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men. Now, remember, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to me, and he's speaking to all of you watching. For they, that's us, will not search great, will not search knowledge, nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. So Nephi's like, I cannot write this any plainer. I cannot be any more clear than what I am being right now. Verse 8. And now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if you would hearken unto the Spirit, which teacheth a man to pray, we're talking about revelation here, ye would know that ye must pray and receive revelation. I would add that parenthetically there. For the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. And, and again, parenthetically, why do we pray? We pray to have a conversation with the Lord. We pray to express our heart, and he in return, as we enter into covenant with him, he gives us revelation. He gives us commandments that we obey. Verse 9. 
But behold, I say unto you that ye must pray always and not faint, that ye must not perform anything unto the Lord, save in the first place ye shall pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance unto thee, that thy, that thy, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. In other words, we don't give, we don't tell ourselves and we don't listen to other men on what it is we need to do to enter into covenant with the Lord. We receive those instructions from the Lord. And Nephi is trying here so hard to convey that message and people are not getting it. Um, again, in verse seven, I, Nephi, cannot say more. The spirit stoppeth mine utterance and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff neckedness of men, for they will not search great knowledge, nor understand great knowledge, when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. Okay, so we're going to go over some pretty plain things tonight. We're, let's continue. Second Nephi 33, some really good stuff here. Um, I got into a little bit of a story here. I got into a, uh, I was talking to a brother, a man, and he said he he was really angry with me when I expressed some of the things that I felt about what's going on in the world and about what's going on to the church. He got really upset with me and he said, okay, well, what do you believe in then? What do you believe in? And I said, well, I believe in the words of true prophets and I believe in the Book of Mormon. And he looked at me and just, just angry and and after I said, well, I believe in the Book of Mormon, he said, oh, so you believe in the arm of flesh, huh? And at that point, there was nothing I could say. There's nothing I could say. There was a spirit of anger in the room, and he was upset with me, so I didn't say anything. However, let's go to Second Nephi 33. If the thought has ever crossed your mind that, well, the Book of Mormon is written by men, Therefore, it is the arm of flesh, and I can't trust it. Well, Second Nephi 33 gives us a really good response to that doubt. Second Nephi 33, verse 1. And now I, Nephi, cannot write. Okay, we're talking about scripture here. I cannot write all the things which were taught among my people. Neither am I mighty in writing, like unto speaking. For when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth it unto the hearts of the children of men. But behold, there are many that harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit, that it hath no place in them. Wherefore, they cast many things away which are written and esteem them as things of naught. But I, Nephi, have written what I have written, and I esteem it as of great worth, and especially unto my people. For I pray continually for them by day, and mine eyes water my pillow by night because of them. And I cry unto my God in faith, and I know that he will hear my cry. And I know that the Lord God will consecrate my prayers for the gain of my people. And the words which I have written in weakness will be made strong unto them. For it persuadeth them to do good. It maketh known unto them of their fathers. And it speaketh of Jesus and persuadeth them to believe in him and, inter and endure to the end, which is life eternal. Now, the end being a metaphor for Christ and life eternal being a metaphor for Christ. Everything that Nephi writes, it persuades men to believe in Christ and endure to Christ, which life is or Christ is life eternal. Verse five. 
and it speaketh harshly against sin according to the plainness of the truth. Wherefore, no man will be angry at the words which I have written, save he shall be of the spirit of the devil. I glory in plainness. I glory in truth. I glory in my Jesus, for he hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have charity for my people and great faith in Christ that I shall meet many souls spotless at his judgment seat. I have charity for the Jew. I say Jew because I mean them from whence I came. Now listen to what Lehi is or Nephi is saying here. He has charity for the Jews. These were the people. These these people were the reason that they had to leave Jerusalem. Remember, these are the people, the Jews, the Pharisees of of Nephi's time were the ones who were seeking to take the life of his father Lehi, and therefore, because of that, they had to leave. They had to depart into the wilderness. And Nephi is saying, I have charity for them. I have the pure love of Christ for the Jews, the Jews that sought to take the life of my father. I say Jew because I mean them from whence I came. I also have charity for the Gentiles. That's us, okay? Do you see the comparison? He is comparing the people of 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 his father's time, Lehi in Jerusalem, to us, the Gentiles. Us and them, we are the same type of people. I also have charity for the Gentiles. But behold, for none of these, the Jew nor the Gentile, but behold, for none of these can I hope except they shall be reconciled unto Christ and enter into the narrow gate which and walk in the straight path which leads to life and continue in the path until the day of probation, until the end of the day of probation. So Nephi is saying, I love everybody. I love the Jew. I love the Gentiles, but that's us. But I have no hope for any of them unless they enter into the new and everlasting covenant with Jesus Christ. And unless they, he says, enter into the narrow gate, which is, we know from 2 Nephi 31, two chapters before, that that narrow gate is the baptism of fire, gift of the Holy Ghost. Last verse, verse 10. And now my beloved brethren, and also Jew, and all ye ends of the earth, hearken unto these words and believe in Christ. And if ye believe not in these words, believe in Christ. And if ye shall believe in Christ, ye will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ, and he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men that they should do good. Okay, so there's the response for, is the Book of Mormon, because it was written by men, is it the arm of flesh? Well, absolutely not, okay? Midway for, through verse 10, if he sh- and if ye shall believe in Christ, ye will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ, and he hath given them unto me, and they shall teach all men that they should do good. Oh, that's not the last verse. Yeah, let's keep going. And this, if you, now all throughout the DNC, we have, thus saith the Lord, almost at the beginning of, of every single section. And that's Joseph Smith. That's the Lord introducing himself as the author of this revelation. And this verse 10 is Nephi's, thus saith the Lord for us. Okay, listen to these words. Everything that I have written, they're not my words. They are Christ's words. He is the one that has given them to me, and I wrote them down. Now, doing Talking, talking about entering into covenant with Jesus Christ and hearkening to his word, we're talking about being righteous followers of Jesus Christ. Now, 
this is not just doing nice things for every for for people. This is not just taking brownies to your neighbor or or going to do going to work at welfare square or whatever the case may be. And it's not that those things are bad things. If the Lord is telling you to do those things, then great. We need to go do them. And but being good, being righteous is entering into the new and everlasting covenant and coming to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Verse 11, and if they are not the words of Christ, judge ye, for Christ will show unto you with power and great glory that they are his words at the last day. That's now. It is at our doorstep. Nephi is begging us. He even included us included us in there as the Gentiles. So he's saying, please, please listen. Please read these words and take them and 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 Hearken, he says hearken. Anytime we, we read the word hearken, we need to think new and everlasting covenant. He's saying, please listen, enter into covenant with the Lord. He is your only hope. There is no one else. Verse 11, one more time. Let's start from the beginning. And if they are not the words of Christ, judge ye. For Christ will show unto you with power and great glory that they are his words at the last day. And you and I shall stand face to face before his bar, and ye shall know that I have been commanded of him to write these things, notwithstanding my weakness. And I pray the Father in the name of Christ that many of us, if not all of us, may be saved in his kingdom at that great and last day. And now, my beloved brethren, all those who are of the house of Israel and all ye ends of the earth, I speak unto you as the voice of one crying from the dust. Farewell until that great day shall come. He's talking about our day right now, the last day, when the fullness of the gospel has gone forth to the whole earth, the Book of Mormon. And you that will not partake of the goodness of God, or you that will not enter into the new and everlasting covenant and, and seek out the commandments that the Lord has for you, and you that will not partake of the goodness of God and respect the words of the Jews and also my words and the words which shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the Lamb of God, Behold, I bid you an everlasting farewell, for these words shall condemn you at the last day. For what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. For thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. Amen. Verse 15 is so cool. It just tells us and reinforces what scripture is to us. Again, verse 15, for what I seal on earth shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. In other words, it's not the words of a man over a pulpit. It's not your, the words of your stake president. It's not the words of a bishop. It is these words, these words, what he seals up, the Book of Mormon, shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. For thus hath the Lord commanded me, and I must obey. In other words, I, Nephi, have entered into this covenant, and I have to do what the Lord tells me to do. So, how will he talks about this condemnation and how will we be how we will be condemned at the last day? Nephi's heart is breaking so much so that it, that his his tears water his pillow by night. Why is Nephi so sad? Well, let's go to DNC 33 verse 6. Okay, we're just going to read one one tiny verse. DNC 33 verse 6. And even so will I, the Lord, gather mine elect. From the four quarters of the earth, even as many as will believe in me and hearken unto my voice. So there we get a little bit more clarification. Elect being an ascension level. Elect being 
someone, a person who has entered into covenant and has received the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, these elect, he says he will gather them in from the entire earth. This is the marvelous work and wonder. This is what is upon us, and this is what we will be seeing happening even more so than we are right now. Even as many as will believe in me and hearken unto my voice. So enter into the new and everlasting covenant and become elect, and that is how you are saved. And if if you can gather from all of this that really we would be completely lost without the scriptures. We would be totally and completely in the dark. This new covenant that we're talking about here of coming to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit was completely lost after the death of Joseph. And we're going to get into a little bit of what happened after the death of Joseph. And we're going to use scripture to show it. So the remnant of the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant, exists only in the scriptures. Likening the scriptures unto ourselves is how we begin to awake and arise. Likening the scriptures is is how we begin to come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. We see it in the scriptures that we have to seek revelation from the Lord. We do it, and then he gives us commandments. He tells us what he needs us to do. This is how we hear his voice, and the scriptures are the beginning of that whole process. Without the scriptures, we would be lost. We would be completely in the dark. Now, speaking of prophets, this is Ezra Taft Benson, president of the church. He says this. He says, the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet. Now, immediately, I I take a, I have a problem with that sentence right there. Now he keeps going. Let's see what he says. God's revelation to Adam did not instruct Noah how to build an ark. Yes, that's true. Noah needed his own revelation. Yes, absolutely. Therefore, the most important prophet so far as you and I are concerned is the one living in our day and age to whom the Lord is currently revealing his will for us. Okay, now let's look at what he is saying. The Lord gave personal instruction, personal revelation to Adam. And the Lord gave personal instruction, personal revelation to Noah. Okay. Now his conclusion is that therefore the most important prophet so far as you and I are concerned is the one living in our day and age to whom the Lord is currently revealing his will for us. Therefore, the most important reading we can do is any of the words of the prophet contained each month in our church magazines. Our instructions about what we should do for each six months are found in general conference addresses, which are printed in the church magazine. Beware of those who would set up the dead prophets against the living prophets, for the living prophets always take precedence. Okay. Now, is this statement scriptural? Is it backed by scripture? And I do like President Benson. He's very anti-communist. He's very pro-freedom. But he is wrong here. He's wrong in his statement. And let's look at why using the scriptures. Now, remember what Nephi just said in the previous verse, in what we just read in in verse 15 of 2 Nephi 33. Nephi says, for what I seal on earth, the Book of Mormon scripture shall be brought against you at the judgment bar. He doesn't say anything about what is said over a pulpit. 
Okay. Let's go to third Nephi 27, 20 through 26, and try and get a little more understanding and a little more context into why I personally believe that what President Benson is saying is false. Okay. Third Nephi 27, 20 through 26. This is the Savior speaking. Now, this is the commandment repent all ye ends of the earth and come unto me and be baptized in my name that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost that ye may stand spotless before me at the last day. Okay, that is a power verse, an awesome doctrine of Christ power verse. We get the whole, excuse me, the whole doctrine of Christ all throughout that whole verse. We get repent, come unto me, enter into covenant, be baptized by water that you may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, okay? Verse 21, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel, everything contained in that previous verse. And ye know the things that ye must do in my church, which is enter into the new and everlasting covenant, that ye may know the things and you, let's start over, 21. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel. And ye know the things that ye must do in my church. For the works which ye have seen me do, that shall ye also do. For that which ye have seen me do, even that shall ye do. What did, the, what did Christ do? He did every single thing that the Father told him to do. Verse 22. Therefore, if ye do these things, blessed are ye. For ye shall be lifted up at the last day. That lifted up is a metaphor for being carried out to deliverance. Write the things which ye have seen and heard, save it be those which are forbidden. In other words, write scripture down. Everything that I have told you exactly like Nephi, write it down so that, so that people in future generations can have it. Write the works of this people, which shall be, even as hath been written of that which, of that which hath been. 25, for behold, now, remember back to 2 Nephi 33 verse 15. Verse 25, for behold, out of the books which have been written and which shall be written, shall this people be judged. For by them shall their works be known unto men. Okay, again, we are not judged by what is said over a pulpit, by what your stake president tells you, by what your bishop tells you, none of those things. What you are judged out of are the books, scripture. Verse 26, for behold, all things are are written by the Father. Therefore, out of the books which shall be written, shall the world be judged. He emphasizes it again there, twice in two verses. This is just so very clear. It is out of the books that we are judged, not by conference addresses, not by ensign issues, not by what any man says, not by press releases, not by what's on television, not by what's on Facebook, nothing. It is by the scriptures. Third Nephi 27. Uh, three through six. And they said unto him, Lord, we will that thou wouldest tell us the name whereby we shall call this church. For there are disputations among the people concerning this matter. And the Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, why is it that the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing? Okay. The Lord's like, I don't understand what's going on. This should be so incredibly clear by now. Okay, what you should be doing. Then he and then he kind of takes a dig at him. He says in verse five, let's start in verse four again. And the Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
why is it that the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing? What is going on in your minds? Verse 5, have they not read the scriptures, which say ye must take upon you the name of Christ, which is my name? For by this name shall ye be called at the last day. How do we take upon the name of Christ? Well, we enter into covenant with him, and we come to him with broken hearts and contrite spirits, and we receive the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's, he's just reiterating the same thing over and over and over again. Verse 6, And whoso taketh upon him my name and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved at the last day. Only by taking upon us the name of Christ, by entering into covenant with him. It is, it is so easy to do, and yet so few actually do it. Now, Christ, he said something interesting. He said, have they not read the scriptures? Okay, let's go to Alma 33, verses 1 and 2, where Alma kind of will give us even more information about reading and understanding the scriptures. He is speaking to the Zoramites here. He's just given them the uh he's just given them the the seed parable about about faith and and how our faith develops according to as a seed grows, it starts out very small and then it gets larger and larger and larger until there's fruit. Alma 33, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Alma had spoken these words, they sent forth unto him, that the Zoramites sent forth unto him, desiring to know whether they should believe in one God, that they might obtain this fruit of which he had spoken, or how they should plant the seed, or the word of which he had spoken, which he, had, which he said must be planted in their hearts, or in what manner they should begin to exercise their faith. So they have some questions about his sermon. Alma gives an awesome response. He says, And Alma said unto them, Behold, ye have said that ye could not worship your God because ye are cast out of your synagogues. Behold, by, I, but behold, I say unto you, if ye suppose that ye cannot worship God, ye do greatly err, and ye ought to search the scriptures. If ye suppose that they have taught you this, you do not understand them. So according to what Alma is saying, there is an incorrect interpretation of Scripture, and then there is a correct interpretation of the Scripture. And how is it that we are supposed to obtain this correct interpretation of the Scripture? Well, the only way to do that is to receive revelation from the Lord. It is to enter into covenant with Him and not be going to a man for your or a lesson manual for your for what what interpretation of the scripture that the Lord would have for you. Let's read verse two again because it's awesome. And Alma said unto them, But behold, ye have said that ye could not worship your God because ye are cast out of your synagogues. In other words, the Zoramites have got this idea in their mind that they have to do certain possibly checklist things. And one of those checklist things is go to church once a week. Remember the Zoramites would go to church once a week and they'd get up on the Ramayumptum and they'd say the same thing over and over and over again. And Alma is saying, no, that's a false tradition of your fathers and you need to get it out of your head. 
But behold, I say unto you, if ye suppose that ye cannot worship God, ye do greatly err, and you ought to search the scriptures. If ye suppose that they've taught you this, you do not understand them. Okay? Again, a correct interpretation and an incorrect interpretation. And Alma is saying, you need to search out, you people who have entered into the tradition of your fathers, instead of entering into tradition with your, instead of entering into covenant with your God, you need to search out the correct interpretation of the scriptures with Heavenly Father. Okay, let's go down. Um, let's go down to, let's go look in Mosiah. Mosiah chapter 9, verse 1. And we are, we'll, we'll spend the remainder of our time on this topic, uh, talking about Abinadi and, and what was going on with King Noah. Uh, Mosiah chapter 9 verse 1 gives us some background on where Noah came from, wicked King Noah. Let's just read it. Mosiah chapter 9 verse 1. I, Zenith. Now, Zenith was King Noah's father. I, Zenith, having been taught in all the language of the Nephites. Now, this language, we may think of language as um, what we're saying and what we are writing down, but that is not the language that he is talking about here. The language of the Nephites is the language of the Lord. It is entering into new and everlasting covenant with the Lord. It is having a broken heart and a contrite spirit and going to him and keeping all of the commandments that he gives us by revelation. Okay, That is the language of the Nephites. That's what he's talking about here. I, Zenith, so Zenith was a righteous man, and we'll, we'll even see that as we go further on with King Noah. I, Zenith, having been taught in all the language of the Nephites, meaning that he understood the new covenant, and having had a knowledge of the land of Nephi, or of the land of our father's first inheritance, and having been sent as a spy among the Lamanites, that I might spy out their forces, that our army might come upon them and destroy them, but when I saw that which was good among them, I was desirous that they should not be destroyed. Okay, So we've got the Lamanites and the Nephites, and they're at each other's throats. And Zenith is sent as a spy in to, to spy out the Lamanites, how he can best destroy them. And he comes upon them, and he sees them in their homes and in their families, and he sees that they are good. Okay, The Lamanites are deceived. They don't have the scriptures in their lives. Remember, Nephi took the scriptures with them. They were deceived because they didn't have the new and everlasting covenant. Okay, so let's go on. How do we, remember, we're talking about likening all scripture unto ourselves. That's what Nephi told us to do. So as we read the story of King Noah and Abinadi, and, and we'll get into some, some other scripture explaining further what all of that means. Think about how we liken this all to ourselves. Zenith walked after the way of the Lord. Okay? He entered into covenant. He had a knowledge. He'd been taught in, in the language of the Nephites. He'd been taught in this, the new and everlasting covenant. And he had a successor. So if we could, let's, let's say for a moment, let's compare Zenith to Joseph Smith, two people that that entered into the new and everlasting covenant with, with God. Um, so think about that. Keep that in your mind as we continue on here. 
let's go to Mosiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. We start learning about King Noah. And now it came to pass that Zenith conferred the kingdom upon Noah, one of his sons. Therefore, Noah began to reign in his stead. And he, that's Noah, did not walk in the ways of his father. For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God, but he did walk after the desires of his own heart. And he had many wives and concubines, and he did cause his people to commit sin and do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord. Yea, and they did, they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. Remember, try and liken this unto yourself. Okay, what are you doing? Are you entering into covenant with the Lord? Like, like Zenith, are you, or are you doing what Noah did? And are you, are you, therefore Noah did begin to reign in his stead, and he did not walk in the ways of his father. For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God. So one of the very first things that happens as the leadership is changed from a righteous man to an unrighteous man is that Noah, the unrighteous man, the successor to his father Zenith, took on, began taking on many wives and concubines. Okay, Remember, try and liken this to our day and to our, what is happening with us and what happened to us in our situation with the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, regarding many wives and concubines, okay, Joseph Smith said the following, and this was recorded in front of 3,000 people on May 26, 1844. This is one month before his assassination. It appears as though things in Nauvoo were coming to a head at this time, and Joseph wanted to be, to be extraordinarily clear as to where he stood on the subject. Joseph Smith, May 26, 1844. I had not been married scarcely five minutes and made one proclamation of the gospel before it was reported that I had seven wives. I am innocent of all these charges. This new holy prophet, William Law, has gone to Carthage and swore that I had told him that I was guilty of adultery. This spiritual wifeism, why a man dares not speak or wink for being feared of for fear of being accused of this. What a thing it is for a man to be accused of committing adultery and having seven wives when I can only find one. I think he had a good sense of humor. I am the same man and as innocent as I was 14 years ago, and I can prove them all perjurers. I labored with these apostates myself until, until I was out of all manner of patience. And then I sent my brother Hiram, whom they virtually kicked out of doors. Okay, so we see that a successor takes over, Noah. The first thing that he does is take on wives and concubines. We've heard what Joseph Smith had to say about polygamy, taking on many wives and concubines. Now, how do we liken this scripture unto ourselves? Um, what has the Lord said regarding this subject? Um, now, remember... The words of the Book of Mormon were given to the Book of Mormon prophets, as we read in Second Nephi, by Christ. Now, understanding that, let's go to Jacob chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, to start off. Jacob chapter 2, 22 through 24. Remember, we're talking about Noah and his many wives and concubines that he took on. This is what Jacob has to say on the matter. 
verse 22. And now I make an end of speaking unto you concerning this pride. Now, the people of Jacob were enter, had failed to enter into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had abandoned the new and everlasting covenant. And remember in 4th Nephi, one of the very first things that the people do when they abandon that covenant is they get lifted up in the pride of their own hearts, which is apparently what is happening here. And now I make an end of speaking unto you concerning this pride. And were it not that I must speak unto you concerning a grosser crime, my heart would rejoice exceedingly because of you. Now, what is this grosser crime? But the words of the word of God burns me because of your grosser crime, something worse than pride. And remember, pride was the downfall of the entire Nephite nation. And this is worse. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures. For they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon, his son. But behold, verse 24, behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines. So he's saying, yeah, they did. Now, which then he clarifies, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord, period. Now, there's no qualifier after that, okay? Verse 24, one more time, but behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Now, understanding that, let's go to DNC 132, verse 38. DNC 132, verse 38, David also received many wives and concubines. So again, we're talking about David and Solomon. David also received many wives and concubines and also Solomon and Moses, my servants, and also many others of my servants from the beginning of creation until this time. And in nothing did they sin save in those things which they received not of me. So we've got a paradox here. We've got Jacob saying one thing with a period at the end of the sentence. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord, period. Now there is no qualifier. DNC 138, DNC 132.38 puts a qualifier at the end. And in nothing did they sin, save in those things which they received not of me. So there was a little bit of sinning, but, but, but they still received many of their wives and concubines from me. So do you see the paradox? You see what's going on between Jacob 2.24 and DNC 132.38? One of them is wrong. One of them is wrong. Now, I will let you be the judge of who that is. Let's continue Jacob 2, 25 through 30. And let's try and understand and liken this scripture unto ourselves. That's the topic. When, when the Lord says in, well, let's, let's get to that in a minute. Jacob chapter 2, let's get to verse, we'll talk about verse 30 in a minute. Jacob chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, this is, this, is, this is the Lord speaking again and not Jacob. Thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm that I may raise up unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Wherefore, I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. Now, he just got finished talking about those of old. In verse 24, let's read it one more time. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. So he's saying here, 
I, the Lord, in verse 26, I, the Lord, will not suffer that this people shall do like unto them of old. In other words, you're not going to take on many wives and concubines and ruin your entire civilization because of that thing. Verse 27, wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord, for there shall not any man. Now, here's the commandment. For there shall not any man among you have, save it be, but one wife and concubines. He shall have none. There's the commandment. For I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, this people shall keep my commandments. Now, we've received the commandment, okay? One man, one wife. That's the commandment. No concubines. This people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord of hosts, or cursed be the land for their sakes. Now, verse 30. This is the controversial one. For if I will saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. Now, there's a lot going on there in verse 30, and we have to break it down phrase by phrase and understand exactly what the Lord is saying. For if I will, so if I want to, if it's in my plan, if it's in the best, if it's in, if it's in all of your best interest, Okay, for if I will, if it's going to bring you back into my presence, is what he's saying. If I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me. Now, before we finish before we finish breaking down each individual phrase, we need to understand what seed is to the Lord. Seed is not just having a thousand children and saying, okay, I'm done, Lord. I've had my children and that's the end of it. I've done what you've asked me to do. Okay. That is not raising up seed to the Lord. We need to understand what seed is to the Lord. And for that, we're going to go to Mosiah, King Benjamin. We're going to go to Mosiah chapter five, verses five through nine. Okay. Let's start on verse five. And we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do his will. This is the people of King Benjamin speaking. Okay, they're, they're willing to enter into the new covenant, okay? And we are willing to enter into, into a covenant with our Lord to do his will and to be obedient to his commandments in all things that he shall command us all the remainder of our days that we may not bring upon ourselves a never-ending torment as has been spoken by the angel, that we may not drink out of the cup of the wrath of God. And now these are the words which King Benjamin desired of them. And therefore he said unto them, Ye have spoken the words that I desired, and the covenant which ye made is a righteous covenant. In other words, going to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and doing what he says. And now, because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. For ye say that your hearts are changed through faith on his name. Therefore, Ye are born of him and be, and have become his sons and his daughters. This is the seed of Jesus Christ. It is entering into covenant with him. It is receiving the baptism of fire and the gift of the Holy Ghost. If we, let's take a nation on earth that has a billion people in it, who, China, whatever. Let's take a nation that has a lot of people in it. and. Everyone in that nation is godless and does not seek to enter into covenant 
with Jesus Christ. Now, all of those billion people are lost. Has it served God any purpose to have those billion people on the earth? Well, they may have progressed in some small way, but they did not bring forth fruit meat for the Father's kingdom. Therefore, they're cast out. So they have not become sons and daughters of Christ because they didn't enter into covenant with him. Let's continue in verse 8. And under this head, Jesus Christ, you are made free. And there is no other head whereby you can be made free. There is no other name given whereby salvation cometh. Wherefore, I would that you should take upon you the name of Christ, become his seed. All you that have entered into the covenant of Entered, entered into the covenant with God that you should be obedient unto the end of your lives. And it shall come to pass, whosoever sh doeth this shall be found at the right hand of God. For he shall know the name by which he is called, for he shall be called by the name of Christ. Now, my last name is Briner. I have children and they are, their last name is Briner. Our goal and what we want is to become the seed of Christ. We must take upon him our his name as just the same as we take upon our parents name we must become his seed his offspring his sons and daughters and only by this are we saved at the last day um so i hope that's clear been made clear as to what is the seed of the lord who is the seed of jesus christ it is those who who take upon them his name and become his sons and daughters by entering into covenant with him and receiving the baptism of fire gift of the Holy Ghost. So back to Jacob chapter two, verse 30. This is used by many people to justify polygamy and taking and the early leadership of the church, taking on many wives and concubines, taking on many wives and, and concubines in some cases, um, because they say that a righteous seed had to be raised up to the Lord. Well, if none of those seed, if none of those people, if none of those offspring ever enter into covenant and keep the commandments of the Lord, then all of those children that everybody had had done no good. OK, so we are not talking about polygamy. We're not talking about taking upon us many wives so that we can have a lot of children. No, that is the absolute opposite of what we're talking about here. Liken this scripture unto yourself. Remember, the commandment is in verse 27. For there shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife and concubines, he shall have none. One man, one wife. Let's go to verse 30 again and finish breaking it down. For I, for if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, we understand that now, I will command my people. In other words, they will enter into covenant with me and I will give them revelation and I will tell them what they need to be doing in order to come to me. Okay. Otherwise, now, if they're not entering into covenant with me, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. In other words, one man, one wife. Okay. I hope that's clear. Now, regarding, we're talking, remember, we're expounding upon King Noah. We're likening this scripture unto ourselves. And why King Noah, why are we being told that King Noah was a wicked man and took upon him many wives and concubines, okay? Regarding marriage in the early church, what did Joseph say that it was? What was, what was marriage defined as? by Joseph Smith, who is the prophet of the Restoration. Now, 
this is not well known among amongst a lot of people, but there was a section in the DNC. It was it was section DNC 101, and it is not the DNC 101 that we have now. It was DNC 101 in the 1835 edition. It was canonized again as scripture in the 1844 edition. And what's interesting about it is that supposedly the revelation for DNC 132, which is the revelation justifying plural marriage, the revelation for DNC 132 was supposedly given July 12th, 1843. And we're going re- to read this section, this DNC section 101 that has been removed from LDS scripture. We're going to read that, but that was canon. Remember, that was canon again in the 1844 edition of the DNC. And as as we read it, remember think remember that the the section one 132 on polygamy was received July 12, 1843. Now, watch for the contradictions and the paradoxes that 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 are that we see because because of these dates. And Brigham, one more thing on DNC section 132, Brigham didn't read it over the pulpit until 1852 when they were in Salt Lake City. And and also, sorry, one more thing I just thought of. It's it's interesting that um the RLDS who was started by Joseph Smith the 3rd, uh they they have a different history than what the LDS church history has. And this DNC section 101 called Statement on Marriage is still canonized. They still have it in their scriptures today. So you can read it in two, one, in, in two places. You can read it in multiple places. You can go to the Joseph Smith papers and look at that as DNC section 101 removed. That's in the 1835 edition. Or you can even go to the RLDS scriptures. And I am going to read DNC section 101 from it's it's actually their DNC section 111, but I'm going to read that statement on marriage from the RLDS scriptures, and it's exactly the same. So here we go, DNC section 101, the removed section from the 1835 DNC. Uh, here we go. Verse one: According to the custom of all civilized nations, marriage is regulated by laws and ceremonies. Therefore, we believe that all marriages in this Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints should be solemnized in a public meeting or feast prepared for that purpose, and that the solemnization should be performed by a presiding high priest, high priest, bishop, elder, or priest, not even prohibiting those persons who are desirous to get married of being married by other authority. In other words, he's saying you can get married. whoever, Whoever you want to marry you can marry you. We believe that it is not right to prohibit members of this church from marrying out of the church, if it be their determination to do so, so to do. But such persons will be considered weak in the faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Marriage should be celebrated with prayer and thanksgiving. And at the solemnization, the persons to be married standing together, the man on the right and the woman on the left shall be addressed by the person officiating as he shall be directed by the Holy Spirit. And if there be no legal objections, he shall say, calling each other by their names. You both mutually agree mutually agree to be each other's companion, husband and wife, observing the legal rights belonging to this condition. That is, keeping yourselves holy for each other 
and from all others during your lives. There's no question there. And when, and when they have answered yes, he shall pronounce them husband and wife in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by virtue of the laws of the country and authority vested in him. May God add his blessings and keep you to fulfill your covenants from henceforth and forever. Amen. The clerk of every church should keep a record of all marriages solemnized in his branch and all legal contracts of marriage made before a person is baptized into this church should be held sacred and fulfilled. Inasmuch as this church of Christ has been reproached with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman, but one husband except in case of death, when either is at liberty to marry again. It is not right to persuade a woman to be baptized, contrary to the will of her husband. Neither is it lawful to influence her to leave her husband. All children are bound by law to their parents, and to influence them to embrace any religious faith, or be baptized, or leave their parents without their consent, is unlawful unlawful and unjust. We believe that all persons who exercise control over their fellow beings and prevent them from embracing the truth will have to answer for that sin. So that statement on marriage, again, canon in 1835, canon in 1844, it was removed in 1876, in the 1876 edition of the DNC, and it was replaced with DNC 132. Let's get back to King Noah. I hope that's clear on on what exactly were Joseph's feelings on marriage. Back to King Noah. Mosiah chapter 11, verses three, verse 3. And he, this is King Noah, laid a tax of one-fifth part of all they possessed, a fifth part of their gold and of their silver and a fifth part of their ziff and of their copper and of their brass and their iron and a fifth part of their fatlings and also a fifth part of all their grain. Now, if, if you notice... People were okay with this in King Noah's day, and they didn't rebel. And why is that? Well, it was because of vain and flattering words. It was because they told the people good things. They told the people what the people wanted to hear. And one person that is, well, I won't get into that. And all, verse four, and all this did he take to support himself and his wives and his concubines, and also his priests and their wives and their concubines. Thus he had changed the affairs of the kingdom. So we see how one unrighteous man can be the undoing of an entire people, and we will see that more and more as we as we go through this more. Verse 5, for he, King Noah, put down We'll discuss that in a minute. Put down all the priests that had been consecrated by his father and consecrated new ones in their stead, such as were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Now, when you think about the words put down, when you put down a a dog or when you put down a pet, what does that do? What what are you saying? What are you doing? Well, you're destroying them. You are killing them. You're you're putting them down. So what do you think he's saying in verse 5? For he put down all the priests. What did King Noah do with all the with all the priests of his father, all the righteous priests? Well, he murdered them all. He put them down. For he put down all the priests that had been consecrated by his father and consecrated new ones in their stead. So out with the old, in with the new. Mosiah 11, verse 6. Yea, and thus they were supported in their laziness and in their idolatry and in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah had put upon his people. Thus did the people labor exceedingly to support iniquity. 
Yea, and they also became idolatrous because they were deceived by the vain and flattering words. There it is. Why did all this happen? They were deceived by the vain and flattering words of the king and priest, for they did speak vain, for they did speak flattering things unto them. In other words, they told the people what they wanted to hear. All of these people, the people of King Noah's city, were led astray by one single wicked man. So what do vain and flattering words look like? Let's go to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Vain, empty, worthless, having no substance, value, or importance. Vain and flattering words. Let's see what Nephi has to say about vain and flattering words. Second Nephi 28, 21 through 32. Verse 21, and others will he pacify, talking, speaking of Satan, and others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security that they will say, all is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And behold, others he flattereth away and telleth them there, there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful change chains from whence there is no deliverance and i would i would surmise that chains or i would i would guess for me that those chains are false traditions and they are very very difficult to overcome and painful to overcome and what would we have to think about what would vain and flattering words sound like well, I would imagine in my own mind that they sound like everything is okay. It's okay. You're doing better than you think. Christ loves us all. And and on on and on we go. Uh and and by the way, Christ loving us all, that is false doctrine. Christ does not love us all. There is no unconditional love. And to prove that out, we're going to go to Helaman. Helaman chapter 15 verse 4. But behold, my brother and the Lamanites hath he hated because their deeds have been evil continually. And this because of the iniquity of the tradition of their fathers. So why didn't the Lord, why did the Lord hate the Lamanites? It was because of their false traditions. It was because they were choosing to enter into covenant with their dead fathers instead of entering into covenant with their Lord. But behold, salvation hath come unto them through the preaching of the Nephites, and for this intent hath the Lord prolonged their days. Now, if you disagree with me, if you believe there is unconditional love, let me know. Second Nephi, back to Second Nephi 28, 23 through 32. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell and death and hell and the devil. We're talking about vain and flattering words again. Yea, they are grasped with death and hell and death and hell and the devil and all that have been seized Therewith must stand before the throne of God and be judged according to their works from whence they must go into the place prepared for them, even a lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless tor torment. Therefore, woe unto him that is at ease in Zion. Woe unto him that crieth all is well. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men or the traditions of their fathers and denieth the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, we have received and we need no more. And in fine, woe, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. For he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say, we have received the word of God, and we need no more the word of God, for we have enough. And we could do a whole hour and a half just on that DNC section, or, uh, 2 Nephi 28.
Um, we have Jesus in our lives. We get that on Sunday. We're okay. Verse 30, for behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, we have enough. In other words, we don't need any more. We have enough. From them shall be taken away even that which they have. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man or maketh arm his flesh or shall hearken unto the precepts of men. Save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. Woe be unto the Gentiles. That's us. He's speaking to us. All of this has been spoken to us. Woe be unto the Gentiles, saith the Lord of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day. They will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God. If they will repent and come unto me, for mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, let's liken these scriptures unto ourselves. Let's go to Samuel. Samuel the Lamanite, words of a true prophet. The people that Abinadi taught and the people that Samuel the Lamanite taught are the same strata of people. They are the same type of people. They're cut from the same cloth. Okay, let's go to Helaman chapter 13, verses 24 through 29 to understand this a little bit better. Yea, chapter, or, uh, Helaman 13, verse 24. Yea, woe unto this people because of this time which has arrived. This is judgment, that you do cast out the prophets, okay? Now, even though we're, we're, we've got Samuel Lamanite speaking, think of, think of Abinadi and King Noah. Yea, woe unto this people because of this time which has arrived that ye do cast out the prophets and do mock them and cast stones at them and do slay them. Abinadi was burned alive and do all manner of iniquity unto them, even as they did of old time. Okay. Now, when ye talk, ye say, if our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. Okay. We would have listened. To, I, I can say for sure that I would have listened to Abinadi. Okay. We can't, we can't believe in our culture today. We don't understand that King Noah was a wicked. We don't see it. We, we say to ourselves that we would have listened to Abinadi, and we can't believe that how, how wicked King Noah was that he killed Abinadi. We say to ourselves, we never would have done that. Verse 26 in Helaman, Helaman 13. Behold, ye are worse than they. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come among you and declareth unto you the word of the Lord, which testifieth of your sins and iniquities, ye are angry with him and cast him out and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, you will say that he is a false prophet and that he is a sinner and of the devil because he testifieth that your deeds are evil. But behold, if a man shall come among you and shall say, do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and ye shall not suffer. And I could think of a hundred things right now. Do this, and there is no iniquity, and do that, do that, and you shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes, and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and, sh and say this, you will receive him and say that he is a prophet. Yea, you will lift him up, and you will give unto him of your substance. You will give unto him of your gold and of your silver. You will clothe him with costly apparel. And because he speaketh flattering words unto you, and he saith that all is well, then ye will not find fault with him. Take this scripture and apply it to your own life. 
verse 29, O ye wicked and ye perverse generation, ye hardened and ye stiff-necked people. How long will ye suppose that the Lord will suffer you? How, yea, how long will ye suffer yourselves to be led by foolish and blind guides? Yea, how long will ye choose darkness rather than light? In other words, how long will you follow after the false traditions of your father instead of following after Jesus Christ? Okay, I hope you're see, I hope you're likening all of these scriptures to yourself and saying that could possibly be me instead of saying that's not me. I'm not that person. I would have accepted Abinadi. I wouldn't stone the prophets. Nephi tells you to liken all of these scriptures to yourself. Go back to Mosiah, King Noah. Mosiah 11, 8 through 16. And it came to pass that King Noah built many elegant and spacious buildings, and he ornamented them with fine work of wood and of all manner of precious things, of gold and of silver and of iron and of brass and of ziff and of copper. And he also built him a spacious palace and a throne in the midst thereof, all of which was of fine wood and was ornamented with gold and silver and with precious things. And he also caused that his workmen should work all manner of fine work, fine work within the walls of the temple of fine wood and of copper and of brass and the seats which were set apart for the high priests, which were above all the other seats. He did ornament with pure gold and he caused a breastwork to be built before them that they might rest their bodies and their arms upon while that they might rest their bodies and their arms upon while they should speak lying and vain words to his people. And it came to pass that he built a tower near the temple, yea, a very high tower, even so high that he could stand upon the top thereof and overlook the land of Shilom and also the land of Shemlon, which was possessed by the Lamanites. And he could even look over all the land round about. And it came to pass that he caused many buildings to be built in the land Shilom. And he, excuse me, and he caused a great tower to be built on the hill north of the land Shilom, which had been a resort for the children of Nephi at the time they fled out of the land. And thus he did do with the riches which he obtained by the taxation of his people. And it came to pass that he placed his heart upon his riches. Remember, these are the ecclesiastical leaders of their day. These are the people that that the main that that the general population looked to for spiritual guidance. Okay, verse fourteen, and it came to pass that he placed his heart upon his riches, and he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines, and so did also his priests spend their time with their harlots. And it came to pass that he planted vineyards round about in the land, and he built wine presses. And made wine in abundance, and therefore he became a wine bibber, and also his people. And it came to pass that the Lamanites began to come in upon this his people upon small numbers and to slay them in their fields, and while they were tending their flocks. Okay, King Noah did not prepare for a battle. Now, I want to first read what a righteous preparation for war for wartime and what battle for a righteous what does a righteous preparation look like. And to understand that, let's go to Alma chapter 50, verses 1 through 6. Alma 50, verses 1 through 6, verse 1. And now it came to pass that Moroni did not stop making preparations for war or to defend his people against the Lamanites. 
For he caused that his army should commence in the commencement of the 20th year of the reign of the judges, that they should com- that they should commence in digging up heaps of earth round about all the cities throughout all the land which was possessed by the Nephites. And upon the top of these ridges of earth, he caused that there should be timbers, yea, works of timbers built up to the height of a man round about the cities. And he caused that upon these works of timbers, there should be a frame of pickets built upon the timbers round about. And they were strong and high. And he caused towers to be erected that overlooked these works of pickets. And he caused places of security to be built upon these towers that the stones that and the arrows of the Lamanites could not hurt them. And they were prepared that they could cast stones from the top thereof according to their pleasure and their strength and slay him who should attempt to approach near the walls of the city. Thus Moroni, Moroni did prepare strongholds against the coming of their enemies round about every city in all the land. So there is what a righteous preparation looks like. Moroni was a man of God. He entered into covenant with the Lord. Now, let's look back to King Noah. Let's try and understand what, how does a wicked man prepare for war? And how does a wicked man prepare to defend his people against their enemies? And as I read this, I'm thinking from the standpoint of a businessman, and you only have so many, you only have, so, you, you have only an X amount of resources. You, you are very, you are limited on your resources, on, on your raw materials and on your labor force. So if you've got your entire labor force and all of your resources going to build up expensive temples and expensive buildings, and you are building entire wineries so that you can get drunk on wine, okay, are you able then to put any of your resources into your defense? Now, we're going to find that out. What does this look like? When you're putting all of your resources into li- into lifting yourself up in the pride of your heart, um, as opposed to, to preparing for battle against your enemies, what does that look like? Mosiah 11, 17 through 29. And King Noah sent guards round about the land to keep them off, but he did not send a sufficient number. And the Lamanites came upon them and killed them and drove many of their flocks out of the land. Thus the Lamanites began to destroy them and to exercise their hatred upon them. And it came to pass that King Noah sent his armies against them, and they were driven back, and they drove them back for a time. Therefore, they returned rejoicing in their spoil. So they had some, some limited success. And now because of this great victory, they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. They did boast in their own strength, saying that their 50 could stand against thousands of the Lamanites. And thus did they boast. And did delight in blood and the sh- and in and the shedding of the blood of their brethren, and this because of the wickedness of their king and priests. And it came to pass that there was a man among them whose name was Abinadi, and he went forth among them and began to prophesy, saying, "Behold, thus saith the Lord, and thus hath He commanded me, saying, Go forth and say unto this people, Thus saith the Lord, Woe be unto this people, for I have seen their abominations and their wickedness and their whoredoms, and except they repent." I will visit them in mine anger. You see the parallels between Abinadi and Samuel the Lamanite. Both are single people. They come from the outside. They come into a group of wicked people that has been led astray by wicked leadership. Okay. Verse 21, and except they repent and turn and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Yea, and they shall be brought into bondage and they shall be afflicted by the hand of their enemies. 
and it shall come to pass. Now, try and liken this again to what's going on today. Are we a righteous nation? Is the United States a righteous nation? Okay, let's read verse 21 again with that in mind. And except they repent and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Yea, and they shall be brought into bondage, and they shall be afflicted by the hands of their enemies. And it shall come to pass that they shall know that I am the Lord their God, that I, the Lord their God, am a, and am a, excuse me, verse 22. And it shall, I get excited. And it shall come to pass that they shall know that I am the Lord their God and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of my people. And it shall come to pass that except this people repent and turn unto the Lord their God, they shall be brought into bondage and none shall deliver them except it be the Lord, the almighty God. In other words, there is no man that can save us right now. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that is possible is by entering into the new and everlasting covenant. Yea, verse 24, yea, and it shall come to pass that when they shall cry unto me, I will be slow to hear their cries. Yea, I will suffer them that they be smitten by their enemies and except they repent in sackcloth and at ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God. I will not hear their prayers, neither will I deliver them out of their afflictions. And thus saith the Lord, and thus he hath commanded me. Now it came to pass that when Abinadi had spoken these words unto them, they were wroth with him and sought to take away his life, but the Lord delivered him out of their hands. You see any parallels to Abinadi and Samuel the Lamanite and Alma and Amulek in the city of Ammonihah and 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 who else? We've got an Ammon with King Lamoni who was delivered out of the hands of the Lamanites. Verse 27. Now when King Noah had heard these words, which Abinadi had spoken unto the people, he was also wroth. And he said, who is Abinadi that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord that shall bring upon my people such great affliction? I command you to bring Abinadi hither that I may slay him. For he has said these things that he might stir up my people to anger one with another and to raise contentions among my people. Therefore, I will slay him. Now the eyes of the people were blinded. Therefore, in other words, Abinadi was a true prophet. Okay, he was a true prophet. Now hindsight 2020, we can see that. But in the moment, what was going on with the people? Verse 29, now the eyes of the people were blinded. Therefore, they hardened their hearts against the words of Abinadi, and they sought from that time forward to take him. And King Noah hardened his heart against the word of the Lord, and he did not repent of his evil doings. In other words, this one single outsider who came into a wicked city, they did not recognize him as a prophet. Mosiah, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Let's finish it up. Then it came to pass that after the space of two years, that Abinadi came among them in disguise that they knew him not and began to prophesy among them saying, thus has the Lord commanded me saying, Abinadi, go and prophesy unto this people for they have hardened their hearts against my words. They have repented not of their evil doings. Therefore, I will visit them in my anger. Yea, in my fierce anger will I visit them in their iniquities and abominations. Now, of course, these people still have the opportunity to repent, and some of them do, but there are very few. But notice how the Lord, he's not, he's in verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, he's not apologizing anymore. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. No, he's saying, 
They have hardened their hearts against my words. They have repented not of their evil doings. Therefore, I will. This is a for sure thing. This is happening now. I will visit them in my anger. Yea, in my fierce anger will I visit them in their iniquities and abominations. And it is my testimony in closing that our fate is exactly the same as these people, as the wicked people of King Noah, if we do not repent and if we do not enter into covenant with with God and seek after revelation and act on that revelation and do the things that the Lord is asking us to do. And I can't tell anybody in this audience what to do. I can't give you the commandments that the Lord would have you do for you. It's up to you. You have to learn to receive that revelation. And I'm going to read one more in Omni that I just thought of. Let's go to Omni verse 12. Behold, I am Amalekai, the son of Abinadam. Behold, I will speak unto you somewhat concerning Mosiah, who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. For behold, he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi. In other words, destruction was coming. He being warned of the Lord, not of a man, that he should flee out of the land of Nephi. And as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. In other words, Mosiah did not go out. Well, he might have gone out and told the people to repent, but it was not his voice that saved them. It was the people that hearkened to the voice of the Lord. Those are the people who the Lord carried out to safety in this situation. For behold, he, Mosiah, being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of the land of Nephi, and as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. My final testimony, enter into covenant with the Lord. Again, seek his will for you. It's not me. It's not President Nelson. Nobody. It's not your bishop or your stake president or your mom or your dad. It is nobody. Nobody is going to tell you what to do and how to be saved. It is only by listening and hearing the voice of the Lord that we are saved and that we will be led out to safety. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.